Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse number 15. Let's go ahead and start. Now, this is kind of the conclusion of this chapter. Remember, uh, when Paul wrote this epistle, there were no chapter and verse breakdowns that, that came later to help us kind of understand a little bit more clearly. But in this latter portion of the chapter, Paul is really giving his prayer to the church at Ephesus and to the Ephesian Christians there. So here he says in verse 15 again, as way of review, Wherefore, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus. Remember, he's in prison when he has written uh, many of these epistles to the churches. So he heard of their faith because it had spread. Uh, faith spreads when, when we are serving God and, and, and in faith and in love. So even in a far distant land, he still heard of the great things that they were doing for the Lord. How I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints. And that's very important. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day, Lord. I'm excited about finishing this chapter and this study in Ephesians tonight. And God, I pray that you be with us for the next few minutes as we walk through these verses and try to understand, excuse me, try to understand uh, what Paul is addressing here as he's praying for the church at Ephesus and the application that we can take to our church today. And Lord, we're looking forward to a great Easter Sunday as we come and celebrate uh, your uh, victorious resurrection from the grave and how you conquered death. And I'm so thankful for that, Lord. And God, I pray that there is someone here on Sunday or even tonight that is not saved that they would realize their need for a Savior, and they would come to the saving knowledge of you. And God, I pray that you'd bless the teens as they're out right now canvassing and uh, trying to invite some people to church and passing out some flyers. I pray that you'd be with them, bless them in their endeavors. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to kind of continue where I finished off last week. Paul greatly desired that the Christians in Ephesus would understand the great wealth that they had in Christ Jesus. And we've been talking about that the past couple months now of the wealth of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And really, what he's doing here is he's praying, as we've said, he's praying for the church and reminding them of what they have in Christ Jesus, as I've been trying to do as well. And one thing I mentioned last week, and is still true, but Paul did not ask God to give them what they did not have. He prayed that God would reveal to them what they already had. And that's a prayer that I have for our church as well, that it's not necessarily God give these people what they don't have, but reveal to them what they do have. And what we do have, as we've seen in Christ, is far greater and is truly sufficient to meet any and all of our needs. And what we need is a true knowledge of God. We've been talking about that. And with the knowledge of God, it will enlighten our eyes to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You know, so many people have a factual knowledge of God. They know of God. They know about God. They can give facts and details concerning God, concerning Jesus, concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, they can quote verses. They can do a lot of things. 
But having a factual knowledge is different than knowing intimately. And what Paul really is trying to get across here is that he desires that this church, and really for us today, since we're reading his epistle, he desires that we know intimately Jesus Christ, that we know who Christ is. And the word he's using for knowledge or know in this passage is the Greek word epignosis, which is a deep experiential knowledge. It's not just knowing about, here's your first blank, I believe, it's an immersive knowledge, an immersive knowledge. Let me share a quick story to help us grasp the difference of knowing God and having a knowledge of God. There was a master musician that was finally ready to listen to the results of his students' efforts. He had done all that he could to teach them to play uh, the music. Now the moment had come for the prize students to play his instruments. Bill was a very talented fellow. He had mastered every note on the very difficult manuscript and did so with great pride. On cue, he proceeded to show off his talent as the notes flew out, out of his instrument. When he had finished his piece, he took a deep breath and asked his teacher, Well, what do you think, professor? Did I pass? To Bill's amazement, the professor was not pleased with his performance. Using drawn-out phrases that were filled with passion, the master musician said, You played all the notes, but you did not play the music. You see, there's a difference in playing the notes and playing the music. So many individuals have all the techniques down, but they don't have a close relationship that reveals Jesus Christ to others, and that's what's most important. You can have all the techniques. You can have all the knowledge, all of the facts about Jesus. You can say all the right things. Uh, being a pastor for several years, I've seen that. Being a youth pastor for several years, I've seen that. There's a lot of people, a lot of individuals that know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, but it doesn't mean they have a close relationship with Christ. There's a lot of facts I have about my wife, but if I don't spend time with her, I don't have a close relationship with her. If we don't spend time with Christ, how can we have a close relationship with him? It's more than just coming to church. It's more than reading our Bible on occasion. That's important. We need to do those things. It goes far deeper. You see, this immersive knowledge that Paul is really trying to get to is the difference between having someone describe something to you as opposed to actually experiencing it for yourself. How many have ever had someone describe something to you and you're like, man, that's, that's pretty cool, that's amazing. And then you actually went and saw it, you're like, wait, that, that wasn't exactly what you described. Yeah, or the opposite. Again, I think I've used this illustration before. Uh, when I was, I think, in second grade, it was really you know, before Google and you know, we can really search things on our phones or, you know, um, all that kind of stuff, but uh, I remember we had an opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon, and I had heard about the Grand Canyon. I may have seen a picture in a textbook or something like that, but I didn't really know about the Grand Canyon, so my parents are trying to describe it to me, and they're like, yeah, it's in a sense like a, it's a giant hole. So I, all I'm thinking is it's a giant hole in the ground. I'm thinking I'm going to walk up the stairs and look out in a hole. And I'm like, as a second grade, I'm like, that doesn't sound exciting at all. I mean, it's exciting if I jump in the hole, but it doesn't sound exciting. It doesn't sound really beautiful. But when I got there, I was blown away as a second grader. I was blown away because the description didn't match what I saw. And a lot of times that's what happens. We can describe something, but it's completely different describing than actually experiencing, right? And that's the thing about Jesus Christ. It's not just enough to just describe him. We have to actually to experience him. And we need to have, a, we need to have a, an immersive knowledge of who he is. Let me ask some questions tonight, but kind of before we 
we go deeper into this. What are some things that have gotten in your way of knowing God? What are some things in your life that have gotten in your way of knowing God? Anyone want to start? What? Anger. Anger? Okay. What else? Help me. Fear. That's good. Mia? Sin. What else? Daniel? Frustration, yeah. What else? What are some things that have gotten in your way of knowing God? Worldly relationships. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. What else? Some adults? Anybody else? Money. Money? Yeah, that's true. Kenzie? Certain friends? Yeah. What? Jobs? Yeah. I didn't point to you yet. Calm down. This way. Lust? Yeah. All right, Mary. Kids, there you go. I was looking at you, then I pointed at you. Really bad kids. You got some of those too? Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one that has a beast. Anyway, uh, what else? Yes, Marcus? Say that, say that again. Oh, okay, yeah, sports, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Venetia? General busyness of life, yeah. How many have allowed busyness of life to get in your way of knowing God? Yeah, I think a lot of us have. Natasha? Confusion, yeah. Uh, confusion specifically about what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You ever been there? You like read the Bible and like, I have no clue what it's talking about. And then you're like, oh, forget it. Yeah, I've done that. But some, th- these are all good answers. They're very good answers. And there's a lot of things. The point is there's a lot of things that get in the way of our knowing God. But even as we kind of addressed on, on Sunday night in, in the classes there, you know, Solomon is talking about vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What he's saying is that life is really empty. We, we, we chase and we pursue all of these empty, fleeting things that really don't amount to anything. They don't really mean anything at all. Instead of pursuing a relationship with Christ, which is meaningful, that's what's most important there's nothing wrong with sports, nothing wrong with jobs and different things that we have. And as I've said it many times, and I'll continue to say it, but a lot of times we're more focused on that than we are with Christ. And it's like, well, I didn't have time to spend any time with Jesus today. Well, we did, but we chose not to. We chose a career. We chose a job. We chose money. We chose whatever was important to us. Again, the series is about identity. It's about identifying ourselves in relationship to how Jesus sees us and not how we see ourselves. Let me ask this question. Those are great answers. Why is it so important to have a deep, immersive knowledge of God? We've kind of listed some things that get in the way of having that, but why is it so important to have a deep, immersive knowledge of God? Yes, Marcus. Yeah, keeps you from sinking. Yeah, he is our solid rock. That's good. Yes, exactly. That's very good. What else? What are... Yes. Share the gospel. Yeah. Why is it so important to have a deep, immersive relationship or knowledge of God? Purpose for life. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, as a Christian, we are a Christ follower, right? We're supposed to be a disciple of him. The disciple is the student. We are trying to learn from our master who is the teacher. So it's important, and really, it kind of comes down to this. It's important because Christ should be the essence of who we are, right? He should be all-encompassing of, of our whole life. But a lot of times, as I mentioned on Sunday, he's just part of the puzzle. He's just part of the equation instead of being the whole entire equation. And 
And I kind of watched a little bit. I, I often don't watch my, my messages because I can't stand listening to myself uh, preach. Uh, but I, I listened to a little bit, and I, I got um, convicted and again, even in the part where I was getting passionate on Sunday, because we so often identify ourselves based on everything other than Jesus Christ and his word. In Christ, he has made us complete. Having a, a true immersive knowledge of him is going to help our life in a greater way than having an immersive knowledge of our portfolio, our job, our status, whatever it is that we're chasing after. Jesus Christ is the only one that's truly going to change. You know, Think of those that have struggled with addiction. Now, there are certain steps to take to get over addiction, but who is going to truly help your addiction? Jesus. He's the only one that's going to help. Now, you can go to classes, and they can steer you in the right direction. They can, and that's good. But Jesus Christ is the only one that can take that addiction away from you. You can't take it away. A class can't take it away, but Christ can. That's why it's so important to have that deep, immersive knowledge of him. You see, if the basis... Michael, can you turn the air on a little bit? It's getting a little hot in here. If the basis of our relationship with God is faith and love, then we will have a desire to grow in our knowledge of God. We will sense God's call and understand his wonderful inheritance, and then, as we're going to look at tonight, begin to unlock God's power. And that's what we want to look at for the next few minutes, unlocking God's power or knowing true power. You ever experienced, this is a great question to ask tonight, you ever experienced the power of failure? <laughs> Maybe in a few hours, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, don't you just love it? You know, I, I started, um, when I was starting my study uh, earlier this morning, it started to rain when I was developing this and actually thinking of this thought. So it reminded me to save my work because I don't know how many times I've typed out something and there's a power of failure. And, no! It's just, it's annoying. And then I try to like find it later and it's not there or like half of it saved and I lost it all. So I reminded myself as I was going through it to keep saving the work. But not having power can cause some great hardships and difficult dilemmas, can they not, right? Yes. But once power is restored, it's almost like a collective sigh of relief. Okay, we have power. Everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes we take power for granted, do we not? I think we do until the power is gone. Everyone likes power, especially in our society today. We have you know, kids, teens, adults, we all like power. Today we have power aid, we have power bars, we have power rangers, we have power everything. Yeah, power rangers. Don't watch it. Some seek power through making lots of money. Didn't know I was going to talk about that tonight, but I did. It just came up. Some seek power making lots of money, some through a political office, some through the incessant need to always be in control. You ever been there? Or you ever know people like that? That incessant need that I have to be in control. It's that need for power. And there's times where, honestly, I, I struggle with that. It drives my wife crazy when I act like that, and she has to kind of reel me in. But there are a lot of power struggles in our businesses and schools and homes and churches. But power is not necessarily a bad thing. Power is not evil. But like anything else, it can become an obsession, and it can become an idol. The world longs for ultimate and all-consuming power. But I've got news for you all tonight. If you're a Christian, then you already have access to that power. Because that power comes through Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? To usward who believe, this power that is from God, from on high, 
is available to us, just like the wealth, just like the inheritance is available to us as Christians. God's power, God's resources are there for us. And here's the first thing we need to look at, the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power. You see, this is key to the closing of this chapter. Not only is Paul saying that we are indescribably wealthy, but now he's saying that we are fabulous, fabulously protected. And it's a great thing to be protected. Look, we need God's power to enable us to use his wealth that he has given us. We also need God's power to defeat the spiritual foes that try to rob us of the wealth that God has given us. You ever had someone tell you that they got your back? You ever had that? It's a reassuring thought. Well, sometimes it's not a reassuring thought. When you know the person, you're like, I don't trust that person to have my back. But there are certain people when they said, I got your back, I know they have my back. And I have confidence in that. I have confidence that whatever the situation is, I know they're going to be there for me. You know what Paul is saying here? God has your back. Jesus has your back. He has the power to overcome any problem, any difficulty that you might face. And we need to understand the exceeding greatness of God's power is working on our behalf. And I want you to notice this, verse number 19, the explosiveness of his power. The explosiveness of his power. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, I'm here to tell you that the power that is ours in Christ is beyond comprehension. Paul says it's exceedingly great. Exceeding means surpassing, unlimited, immeasurable, beyond imagination. That means there is no comparison between the power of God and any power in this world. He says great. This means mighty, explosive, beyond measure. This is where we get our English word for megathon, which means atomic explosiveness, which is where I came up with that explosiveness of his power tonight. In fact, the Greek word here for power is dunamis, which I said last week. It's where we get our word dynamite. You see, what we have in Christ is dynamite. It's powerful. Think about that. Think about the explosive power that we have in Christ at our disposal. And the amazing thing, as Paul says here in verse number 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? You know who it's for? Christians. If you're in Christ, you have his power. You have access to his power. I know we're in church. I know it's Wednesday night. But I have gotten so excited in this series. And I hope you guys are getting something. I really do. Sometimes I wonder. I really do. I look out, and you're like, no, this is great. Power. Ooh, yay. Seriously, this is awesome, the power that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, there's some of the songs that are going to be singing on Sunday. I know the staff has one talking about the blood of, of Jesus Christ. And if you can't get excited about a song like that, then you might not even be saved. You know, I, I expect to hear some shouting and hallelujahs and you know, Marcus running around and jumping in the baptistry or something like that. <laughs> I expect something. I'm just giving you a warning, Marcus. So if you can't get excited about some of these things, then man, maybe you're not saved. So Marcus, you might not be saved if you don't jump, jump the baptistry on Sunday. I'm just kidding about that. I really am. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be dynamite. <laughs> How many saw that video that Michael posted about the, uh, the church with the, 
with the fire and everything like that. He was joking about that's how our services are going to be, but I just thought that was, if you, if you haven't seen it, you need to go on our Facebook page and, and look at it. There was a, a church, I don't know if it was this year, last year, a couple years ago, whatever. Uh, the guy was singing a song, and it was kind of a dramatic thing for Easter, and, and all of a sudden, uh, I think Jesus was supposed to come out of the tomb, and I don't know if they had, you know, pyro stuff there and, and fire, but the, the tomb, like, lit on fire. And then the cool thing was, to me, that the guy kept singing, that was singing the song, and then Jesus comes out, and he's like, here I am. It was like it was planned, but, and then you have, like, five or six guys, like, rushing up there with, like, trying to stamp it out, and then, like, you know, they've got the fire extinguishers, and then one guy's, like, running with the fire through the auditorium, like, whoa, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy, but anyway, check it out. It's not how our services, hopefully, are going to go uh, this Sunday. We don't have any fire or fireworks or anything like that, um, but anyway, it was just, it was just kind of funny. It was definitely dynamite. I don't know why I said that. I got totally off, off trail. Let's go back to the explosiveness of his power. All right, next point. The power, Jesus has the power to conquer death. This is perfect in relation to Easter coming up this weekend. Verse number 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Think about the amazing power of God. Who else had the power to conquer death? No one. All of those other religious leaders, still in the grave. But Jesus Christ is not in the grave. He conquered death. He rose victoriously. And I've got this down. There are so many powers in this world that can take life, but there is only one power that can give life. Woo! That's Jesus. Amen. Hey, that's good. She's practicing for Sunday. Woo! Not too bad. I can't get that high. Maybe we should have a, a little woo, you know, like practice session tonight. Like, all right, just, just, just let it out. Woo! I think we can do like a chipmunk up here. Again, we're getting so offhand tonight. It's okay. It's all good. Let's try it one more time. Ready? Woo! All right, that was better. That was better. All right. Marcus, you ready to jump? There's no water in there, so (laughs) we might have to fill it up for Sunday just in case. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. It's all good. It's all good. Midweek, trying to. You wearing hearing aids? Be careful. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I didn't even think about that. I don't have that problem. I just can't hear. So, anyway, sorry for the Don. If we do that, we need to make sure that we say it beforehand or hold something up so that he can just turn them down really quick. All right, Miss Dean, just, just smack him or whatever. All right. Okay, okay. All right, let's try to get back to the lesson. All right. Second thing here, the exalted Savior. The exalted Savior. Look at verse number 21. For above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul is covering all the bases here. Jesus Christ is far above everything. He's not just barely above. He is far above. There's no contest. In Paul's day, these five words, rule, authority, power, dominion, title, or name, describe different levels of spiritual beings. And Paul's point is that we don't need to worry because Jesus Christ is far above all of those spiritual beings. 
Jesus has the complete power, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. Jesus Christ is in control now and will always be control in control. No one can overthrow him. There will be no coup. Christ will rule and reign forever. He is the exalted Savior. God's power is so great that he raised Christ from the dead and placed Christ in a position of authority over all things. Look at verse number 22. And it put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus died for the church and God has given him the supreme position of power over the church. Why did God give all the power to Jesus? He deserved it, yes. He's his only son, yes. But Jesus was already God. So in reality, he already had that kind of power. Why does God make a point of declaring Jesus to be the supreme ruler of the entire created universe? Because the reason is found in the last couple words of verse number 22. To the church or for the church. He has power over the church. The power that raised Christ from the dead, that seated Christ at the right hand of God, that gave Christ supremacy over all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, over every name that can be given throughout eternity, that placed all things under Christ's feet, that appointed Christ as the head over everything. This power is for the church. This power is given to the church. As a church, as a local assembly of believers, we have the power to conquer the darkness. We have the power to proclaim the gospel. Now, a lot of times we don't take advantage of the power because we're afraid. We let fear come in and grip us. But I think of what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think a lot of times in our lives, we act like we're ashamed because we're not willing to declare the gospel to other people. But Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God everyone that believe it to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the church is the vehicle in which Jesus is working to fulfill his mission. So the power of God is given to his son and it's given to the church. It's given to us that are here. We have the power to reach, to proclaim the truth of the gospel to the world. We have the power to exhort, to lift up. We have the power to see and set this world on fire. Not like in that video, but we have the power to truly set this world on fire. But do we take advantage of that power? Most often not. It's like having an electronic. It's like having something that's, that's powerful, and yet you don't plug it into the source of power. It'd be like if I had that rolling stand with the TV on it, and I'm looking at it and like, why won't it turn on? Well, pastor, it's not plugged in. Oh, you see, that's what we do in our lives. We don't plug into God's power. If we plug into God's power, boom, we have all the power available to us at our disposal. Think about this. There are resources at my disposal that I cannot see. There's a power working on my behalf that I can't tangibly touch. There is wisdom and understanding that is accessible to me only through Jesus. These supernatural resources are available to me if I just go and access them. What should this produce in me? It should produce a confidence and a courage that is untouchable. It should produce a hope and a gratitude that is indestructible. It's easy to attach our identity to things that are destructible. You know, this series has really helped things, or helped me put things in perspective, and I, I hope it's helped you put things in perspective. 
And really, this for me, it goes back to probably 2011, 2012, before Logan came and then before he died. And really, it's been about seven years since his death, and I feel like I'm just starting to figure out and understand who I really am in Christ. And I fear that there are so many Christians that don't understand who they are in Christ. He's given us his word to tell us who we are, and yet we're chasing everything else, trying to figure out who we are, trying to gain our identity in something that doesn't matter, something that's meaningless, something that's vain, that's vanity, something that's empty, as Solomon said. All those things, they don't matter. God has to take things away from me at times because I think I put too much effort, too much energy into things that really are worthless. Instead of putting my time into seeking him and having a passionate knowledge and immersive knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, my identity is not tied to the things of this world or it shouldn't be tied to the things of this world. Because in this life, we can lose things in the blink of an eye, can we not? You know, think about the storms, and I mean, there might be something that happened tonight, and someone lose their house and all their possessions. It happened in a blink of an eye. Well, if your identity is tied to those possessions, then you're, you're devastated. But even if you lose everything on this earth, you still have everything in Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? You know, I've thought about this, because there's been people that have passed away here recently, and and it, it is a sad thing. But losing someone, if they're a Christian, it's not the end. If you're a Christian, you'll see them again. So, yeah, it, it's sad. It is. And trust me, I'm not, I'm not demeaning anything and, but, but, or belittling anything. But it, it is sad, but it's actually very joyful. Or it should be. Because I get to see them again. Because this life that I'm living is just Temporary. It's not everlasting. But the attachment we have to Christ is eternal. It's never-ending. When life happens, and it will, it's going to knock us down. It may cause us to go under, and it causes so many people to go under farther than they should. Some people, it causes them to sink. I've seen too many Christians that have allowed life to sink them, to devastate them. And, and people, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say this in a negative way, but sometimes people just can't get over the past. They can't get over the hurt. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in people's posts on Facebook. It's because they're tying their identity to something that your identity wasn't supposed to be tied to. But when you tie it to Christ, it doesn't matter what happens. Because in Christ, you have everything you need. You have everything you need to conquer anything, to be triumphant, to be victorious. You see, we need more Christians who have an identity in Christ rather than an identity in their circumstances. We need more Christians who determine, and get this down, to have a buoyant faith. Anybody know what a buoy is? It's one of those things out in the ocean, out in the water. A lot of times when those waves come over, it kind of knocks it down. It might even go under a little bit. But what's the great thing about a buoy? It pops back up. And a lot of times, the reason it pops back up is because it's anchored to something. Now, there are times when the buoy's just out there floating, but you think of sometimes those buoys are anchored deep into the ocean floor or something else. 
So when the storms come, it, it knocks them over. But you know what happens? Boom, pops it back up. You see, if our identity is tied, anchored to Christ, when the storms come, when the waves come, it's going to knock us over. You know what it's going to do? We're going to bounce back up. Amen. You see, that's what we need. We need buoyant faith. I'm going to close with this. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, he relays a story he once heard from Dr. Bruce Waltke. Apparently, some time ago, there was a man who wanted to cross the frozen St. Lawrence River in Canada. Now, the man had his doubts about whether he could or whether the ice could hold him, so he decided to first test it by placing his hands firmly upon it. So, in a sense, he, he got down on all fours and put his hands on the ice to see if it would hold him, and if it didn't, he's going down. Afterwards, after mustering uh, uh, you know, just a, a, a modicum of, of faith, a small amount of faith, he got down on his knees and began to shuffle. I can just see that you know, he's kind of crawling across, albeit gingerly, across the ice. When he got to the middle of the frozen river, trembling with fear, he suddenly heard a noise behind him. Looking back to his horror, he saw a team of hor- horses pulling a carriage and making their way down the river. And upon reaching the river, the horses and the carriage in tow did not stop, but bolted right onto the ice and blew straight past him while he remained there on all fours, turning a deep shade of crimson. (laughs) Here's the thing. If only he had known how thick and firm the ice really was, he wouldn't have been crouched down in fear, trembling. But isn't this us many a times? I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I can step out in faith. I don't know if I can trust you. And then someone comes behind us and just blows by us. Well, what are they doing? They got more trust. They got more faith because they know how deep the ice is. Do you know how deep your Savior's love is for you? Do you know how deep and amazing his power is for you? You see, the greatest power shortage today is not in our generators. It's in our personal lives. You know, we've had some amazing things happen at Eagle Drive in the past couple of years. And I believe more is coming in the future. You know, last week I said that I want us to be a contagious church. And what I meant by that is that I want it to be catching that people see of our faith and hear of our faith and love for other people. And, and just, man, I, I want that. I want what's going on there. And I want us to be a contagious church. But more than that, I want us to be a powerful church. And to me, a powerful church is a church that's making an impact for God. We need the power of God to go and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ unashamed. And, and don't get me wrong, we have made an impact on this community. But the reality is we haven't made that much of a dent. Because we haven't truly accessed the full potential of the power of God. You know, I've said it before in many different scenarios, but... Let's, ask, let's add this one to the equation. What would this church look like if we truly accessed the full power of God? Don't you think we'd make a dent, an impact indicator in Wise County and Texas and around the world? Yeah, we would. You know, we've kind of gone through our ebbs and flows here this past year. You know, we started the year off great, had great numbers, and kind of gone down a little bit. And there's a lot of struggles internally that's going on that's really causing me some stress and burdens. But I feel like so many people are chasing an identity that's not theirs to chase instead of chasing after Christ. 
We're trying to access some other power instead of accessing his power. We're trying to say and declare, this is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to be. No, you're supposed to be in Christ. We're supposed to be passionate about him and about his word. You see, the power of God gives us the ability to live our lives for him and for him alone. Just before World War II, a school in Itasca, Texas, caught fire and killed 263 children who could not escape. Afterwards, the town decided to never let that disaster occur again. So when they built the new school, they installed the best sprinkler system that money could buy. Reassured parents again began to send their children to the school. Within seven years, the town had grown, and the school needed to be enlarged. As workmen began construction, the discovery was an appalling discovery. The best sprinkler system that money could buy had never been connected to the water line. Could you imagine that? They spent all this money having the best of the best, and yet they never connected it to the source of water. How often do we try to do the same thing in our lives when we're never truly connected to the power of God? The only way to know true power from God is to get plugged into God. I think it's a fitting in to this chapter of what Paul is addressing in our identity in Christ. You want to have an identity in Christ? Then get plugged into Christ. Get plugged into God. Not plugging into yourselves, not plugging into something else, not plugging into your circumstances, plugging into God and His power. Because His power is what makes you strong. His power is what enables you to conquer any problem, any scenario, any difficulty that we'll ever face. We're not going to break into our groups tonight. I just want to ask a couple men to to close us in prayer tonight. and really want to pray for our church. Pray for me, if you would, as a pastor. Because as I said, there's, there's things that I'm dealing with personally and internal struggles that really shouldn't happen, but it happens in churches all the time. And I feel like our church isn't going forward as great as it was because of some of these issues. Because we're chasing an identity that's not ours to chase instead of chasing after Christ. And I want Sunday to be a great Sunday, not just because it's Easter Sunday, but because it's, it's a time we come to worship God. And I, I'm passionate about God's Word, and I hope you see that. I'm passionate about God's Word, I'm passionate about this church, and I'm passionate about souls, and I'm passionate about the best for all of us. But we have to take the tools that we're given and allowed God to use them in our life. It's so easy to, to hear a message like this or messages that I preach and like, man, that's for someone else. And we can name the names. And there's many people that have asked me, like, Pastor, you've been in my home this week? Well, I actually wasn't thinking about you when I prepared the message. I was thinking of someone else. No, not really. But that's the Holy Spirit convicting us. So I just want to spend a few minutes closing tonight and just pray that God would continue to move his church, that we would be plugged into his power, not our own. We'd be doing what he wants us to do and not what we want us to do. I want to know true power, and I believe that God wants to do an amazing thing in Eagle Drive Baptist Church, and you know, I believe we're going to have a great Sunday. I really do. And I hope we have to set out more chairs and have more people, but you know, I'm thinking about next year. I, I, think, I think next year... We should have to 
have another building or multiple services. We should. But I'm telling you now that it won't happen if we're not plugged into God's power. And if we're more concerned with petty things than we are about knowing God and having a close relationship with him. You know, we talked earlier in the year about possibly having to build, and that's, that's still on the back burner, but we've kind of settled down a little bit. And it's because Christians, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say this in a mean way because I'm putting myself under the bus here. We're more concerned with ourselves than we are with Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times God has hit me upside the head with that fact over the past several months and years since I've been here. Chris, forget about yourself. <laughs> Focus on me. Focus on my word. Focus on what I want you to do and not what others say or what you think. Because what you think is not always best. But what I know is best.